0: the art of leadership network Welcome to the Kerry Newhoff leadership podcast. It's Kerry here and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, you know, we do a number of things on this podcast. Sometimes we bring you amazing ideas, we have world class guests, and then once in a while, I bring you a behind the scenes green room conversation. One of my favorite things to do is just hang out with other leaders in green rooms. Brad Lominick and I have spent a lot of time in green rooms together, and we sat down and basically brought to you a, kind of a green room conversation I love to have. We are going to cover the best career advice, how to get connected with influencers without being a social climber a template on what to say, exactly what to say when you meet your hero and how not to be the best, but the only and a whole lot more fascinating conversation. Today's episode is brought to you by Glue. Church leaders, if you are asking questions about AI, like I am, you can get access to the ultimate free resource for AI for the church by going to get.glue.us slash AI hub. That's get.glue.us slash AI hub. And Convoy of Hope, do you know you can feed a child at school every day for $10 a month. That's it. Visit convoyofhope.org slash carry to learn how. Well, Brad Lominick and I are going to talk about all kinds of things today. He is the founder of Blink which is a boutique leadership advisory agency. He is the longtime president of Catalyst, served there for a decade, gathering tens of thousands of leaders across America. He is the author of The Catalyst Leader and H3 Leadership and host of the H3 Leadership Podcast, which is on my Art of Leadership network. And I'm really glad to have Well, you've been hearing all the buzz about AI, artificial intelligence. Actually, I have devoted a block of time every day to studying AI between now and the end of the year. That's how important I think it is. And you're probably wondering, what does this mean for the church? People ask me on a regular basis, like, can AI be used responsibly? Can it save me time or should I avoid it? I want to tell you what I think is the ultimate free resource for AI in the church, where you can get those questions answered, get the latest insights from top leaders, and access results from the largest survey ever about AI in the church. I just read that. It's fascinating. It's available for free on Glue. So here's what you have to do. You have to go to get.glue.us slash AI Hub. That's getgloous slash AI Hub. And you can sign up for free. So get.glue slash AI Hub will get you all of that and a whole lot more. And man, I love Convoy of Hope. You know, they have a passion to feed the world through children's feeding initiatives, women's and girls' empowerment, and disaster response. And you hear all the time about disaster response. There was a hurricane, tornado, wildfire. Well, you know, They do a lot more than that. Do you know last year they fed over half a million school children every day in 37 countries? And in addition to that, responded to 75 natural disasters and humanitarian crises around the globe. Convoy of Hope makes it easier for every individual, every business, and every church to deliver tangible hope to people who desperately need it at just the right time. And you know what's great? You can stand up there on a Sunday and say, hey, here's what we're doing as a church. This is the difference we're making in the world. Uh, Your people want to give to that. You will feel better about it, and they do it for you. So, to learn more about feeding a child every school day for ten dollars a month, go to convoyofhope.org slash carry. That's convoyofhope.org slash C-A-R-E-Y. And now my conversation with Brad Lominick. Dr. Lominick, welcome back to the podcast.
1: It's great to be here.
0: How many is this three for me, maybe? Oh gosh, no. You've been on like with round tables, probably five or six. I want oh. I, I still
1: want to be in the top five of oh, yeah, turn you're, guest.
0: You're definitely yeah, you're in the top five, maybe the top three. I, I'm honored. I'm honored to be. Uh-huh. Listen, well, we anytime
1: t- I get it, anytime I get an email inviting me on the Carrie Off Leadership Podcast, I just I have that moment again when I feel like okay, I've arrived, like I've <laughs> I've I've finally made it, <laughs> I finally got to the to the big time.
0: Well, I'm I'm so glad to have conversations with you because I think you have your finger on the pulse of the church business landscape, like few other people. Anytime people are like, hey, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, no, but Brad does. No, but Brad does. Brad does. And then I'm inevitably texting you or emailing you going, hey, man, can you introduce X to Y? Or what do you think about this? Or what do you know about, like, you're just the most connected man in the world. You really are. Well,
1: Carrie, as we discussed, I think the last time I was on the pod, I still feel like that needs to be my next book of some sort. And I haven't done any work since then. I was going to say, which
0: you're never going to write, the book you're never going to write, right? Yeah, it's like, how do you connect with people? How do you, you know,
1: how do, it's sort of the the updated version of how to win friends and influence people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just need, I just need my, I just need my publisher, my agent, and a, and a writer to hold my feet to the fire.
0: Wow. You know, but how many, how many years are you past due on your contract now for book? Oh, like
1: six years. Six years. Sorry. Sorry, Harper Leadership.
0: So, is this why um, you're in hiding right now and under the yes, witness I'm, I'm protection in, program? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm
1: in. I'm incognito. Uh, listen, I'm not moving the needle. I'm not moving the needle on the uh, on the P and L at Harper Leadership. So they're they're not sitting around thinking. I wish Lamanik would finally get his book turned in. Well, that, that think, is not. But Harper leadership
0: has done well. Like I mean, it has. It you've has, sold a couple it, of copies.
1: It has done well, and it continues to do well. So, I. And you know, you know, this, the beauty of books is nobody cares when it came out except for the publisher and the author. Mm-hmm. So I still get people who tell me seven years later now, Oh, I, saw, I just saw your brand new book, H3. And you're like, great. Sure, you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it's new to them. I mean, it's, it's, if it's new to them, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that they're finding it. So, uh, that's a, that's one of those books that I think will be, Again, lifetime for me, it'll, it'll keep selling. People will find it and especially younger leaders. That's because that's who I wrote it for. So, mm-hmm.
0: well, and every year there's younger leaders leaving college, heading into internships, heading into leadership and the whole deal. And that's, that's a beautiful segue. Do you see how smooth that was? That was now,
1: so good. You're, you're such an you're such a whew, pro at this, man. Come so on. smooth. So 600 slow. episodes in, I think. Right, yeah. Now? We're
0: getting really close if we're not there already. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and and no end in sight too. I mean, believe it or not, there's a couple of other people to be interviewed. Brad, did you know that?
1: Well, listen, I I you know this, I'm your greatest fan of when you bring on when you bring on such a variety of people. I mean, the the Will um Gadera,
0: oh, that was amazing. Uh, Wasn't oh Will great? Oh,
1: and I, I mean, I'd listen to Danny Meyer on I think Tim, Tim Ferriss' Paris. show mm-hmm. and just just those kind of voices that that you having access to them, that then you start to be able to be this translator for, for you know, Christians, for pastors, for church leaders, for just Christian leaders in general, business professionals. But, you know, the the connection point of you being able to unpack stuff with somebody like Will, I, that's just so, it's so helpful and it's so valuable to, to me as a leader. So thank you for continuing to, you know, stretch the envelope and not just going back to the to the tried and true voices that you could that are lined up and you could always have on.
0: Well we do have a few perennial favorites too. And you know, that's like uh Brad Lominick, et cetera. But I mean it was you who introduced me to Adam Grant. I remember that email. And Adam's coming back on the pod this fall. And I think you introduced me to Kevin Kelly, right? Yes. The most interesting yeah. man in the world who's on the pod oh my this gosh. year. Like such a great interview with him, and dozens of others as well. So thank you, I appreciate it.
1: Well, yes, the Simon Cynics and the you know Adam oh yeah, it was Grant's Simon and- Cynic.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was Simon too. because people think I know all these people. It's just no, I know people who know all these people. And then sometimes you get to know people like Seth Godin. I think that was a cold call to Seth, and he got back to me. And at first, you know, he was busy, he couldn't help. And then I just. Sent him an email once a year or so, and then he got back to me and said, "Yeah, I'll I'll come on your podcast. I'll, inter- I'll I'll endorse your book." And and we become kind of friends, which is awesome, you know. Which is which is fun. That's that's the crazy thing. You miss all the shots you don't take, right?
1: Well, the connections, you know. That's again power. There's currency. There's so much currency, and and who you know. But it's not just who you know, Kerry. Like it's who you know that actually knows you and and likes you like when when you reach out to them they they want to respond to you they don't want to just avoid you
0: yeah people are, <laughs> seth responds almost instantly which always blows me away he says if he has I mean, one one kryptonite it's that he 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 loves his email a little too much he would say but you know this is part of what i wanted to drill down on today so for those of you a lot of you know brad for those of you who don't uh brad is one of the most connected people in the world in America, particularly in the church space, but also in the business space, CEOs, leaders, politicians, athletes, like you just know everybody. And, you know, for a lot of young leaders who are trying to figure out, well, how do I do that? How do I get a mentor? What does that look like? I want to go into back to the segue, the making of Brad Lominick. And Uh-oh. yeah, yeah. I want to look at like early because you 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 keep your personal life pretty close to your chest. Uh, and that's fine, but to the extent that you're comfortable sharing, tell us about young Brad, where you grew up. It was Oklahoma, right? You and and a little bit more about the shaping of what were some moments like? When was the first time you thought, "Gosh, I could be a leader," or mm. you know, you had those things or some of your early childhood ambitions. Take us back to that first decade or two of your life.
1: Well, I remember uh, a couple of things that stand out. I think I was three or four years old. And my, one of my grandfathers, he, you know, in passing, he sort of said, hey, you know, you're the kind of kid that's going to be president someday. Wow. And, and I, I, you know, I remember that. I remember that, like, sort of this, this sense of encouragement, but also a, a, you know, a passing statement of, of identity shaping fuel. And I didn't, you know. It, the fir- the first part of that of, of being president okay well is that really possible probably not but this idea that that I could be something and there was something he was seeing in me that that was now going to connect to the ability to have influence or play at the highest level that's 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 one thing um and by the way all the grandparents listening you have the ability to speak such sense of encouragement and inject like, huge amounts of courage into your grandkids. Um, so this, the second thing was when I first got to first grade, Carrie, um, the first day of first grade, Mrs. Weaver's class. Shout out, Mrs. Weaver, uh, in small town Oklahoma. And there was probably 25 kids in the class. And by the end of the day, I knew all the kids' names. Um, by the By the second day, I was figuring out connections between all the kids in the class, wow. and sort of, sort of. Uh, I, I didn't even. Again, nobody told me to do this, but in essence, like starting to see patterns of oh, well, well, Joey, you know, loves mm-hmm. loves to be on the playground and be in charge. So if I'm going to get on the right team for you know for freeze tag, I better make sure that you know I've got Joey in my back pocket. And Cindy, you know, she loves to do trade deals at lunch in the cafeteria. So I know if I want to, you know, make a trade deal happen in, 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 you know, lunchtime. Isn't that crazy?
0: That is that is insane, man. I mean, wow, because that's exactly what you do today. It's exactly what I do today.
1: And it showed up so early in my intrinsic, God-given wiring. Um, and I didn't, again, I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know. I didn't know I was doing it. It was just natural. Like it was, it was my, um, it was my default. And nobody said, "Hey, listen, Lamanek, when you get to first grade, here's three steps for for better, you know, for a better experience uh, in Mrs. Weaver's class." But that was that was the the asset I traded from the very beginning of my um, my interactions socially as a as a young kid. And it was, it always was true. I would, I would run for, you know, all the class sort of elected offices, whether it was class president or, you know, the club president or captain of the sports team, all that stuff, I think showed influence uh, to your question of when did it, when did it first show up? I think it first showed up for me um, when I was, when I was, when I became a captain of the sports team, probably in middle school, Mm -hmm. uh, because elementary, you know, you're still trying to navigate, well. What does that mean as a captain? But once you get to middle school, it sort of starts to mean something. Um, and there was just always in me this 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 desire to connect. Um, you know, I another just to your question, another thing that stood out for me it's probably a sophomore in high school. But I I served I served on this sort of advisory council for the city, small town, you know, five thousand people, but we were getting together with local, the local sort of um, city council, business leaders, um, the mayor, and talking about issues in our in our community. And here I am, a sophomore, being invited to sort of be part of that, part of that group. And again, I'm out kicking my coverage at that point in terms of what the things I should I should be part of. But it was it was always this sense of you're gonna I'm gonna get connected to people because i'm already like showing up intentionally and and figuring out connections. Hmm. And you know, i think i think if, you know, the other things i probably could have done in life, um investment banker, you know, investment bankers are really good at this, like they they know to connect dollars typically with opportunities. Um, you know, there's agent, the agent world which is you mm-hmm. connect mm-hmm. athletes or entertainers to to you know different deals. Um but I, I feel like what I've gotten to do in the last 25 years is really on point with that that power, this the superpower for me of of being a not just as you said, connected, but being a connector. Mm. And it it's just always been true. It anywhere I go, I mean in college, Carrie, I was you know, I was in a fraternity at University of Oklahoma. Um, I was one of the few students on campus who was in a fraternity that had some leadership in within within the confines of the university sort of framework. And I could walk into almost any other fraternity on campus and have friends there.
2: Hmm.
1: So you know, there were fights that would happen between like my house, my fraternity house, and some other rival house. On campus, you know that the the, the dumb yeah. things we did as fraternity kids, you know sure. fraternity students. But I could walk into that other rival house and sort of be this peacemaker or the deal maker between, hey, let's call a truce. You know, let's because I had connections and friendships there. I was there. I, I crossed over a lot of different, I would say, lines that weren't typically crossed over. Um, so you know, if I ever get to be on a cabinet member by the way in somebody's administration i think I, I think i want to be secretary of state
0: because you're brokering all this power from around the world all these different interests wow exactly
1: yeah yeah that's what the secretary of state does in essence is they they create they create influence and friendship and equity with people around the world that then they can trade appropriately trade when needed
0: would you ever be interested in politics in the future?
1: No, not really. I, I mean, <laughs> I I really was interested in high school and college and post-college. I mean, that was what I was planning to do. And then, you know, showed up on a guest ranch and and uh, started riding horses and then met, some, met a few other people that connected me into the leadership space. But um, I'm still fascinated by the world of politics. I just, I don't know if it's the best place for me to have influence because so much of politics is downstream.
0: It's funny, I don't know that you've ever stayed there when you're in Toronto, but do you know the Royal York Hotel?
1: Uh I know I've never stayed there, but Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So we were there on the weekend. My wife and I went to a concert, stayed overnight. But I was I was telling her it brought back all these memories because when I was 17, 18, 19, 20, I was involved politically. And I would go to, I mean, that's a pretty young age for cabinet ministers at the provincial level, state level, to be pulling, you know, state senator, anyway, office joke, but long story short, uh, pulling me into meetings, asking my opinion on policy and legislation and strategy for winning leadership campaigns and elections and that kind of thing. And I left it behind in my early 20s because I kind of saw what it was really all about, that there were some good people in politics, but it was a lot of, and it's funny because some of the people I worked with when we were all 18, 19 years old are now the hacks in the news. And I've lost touch with them decades ago. But walking back into that space at the Royal York, I'm like, oh yeah, I used to come here when I was 18, 19, 20, and just sitting in back rooms with politicians trying to cook up how to win. And uh, fascinating, fascinating world.
1: I, I think the other thing about politics, which is true, and I just don't, I don't know if it, you know, if I would have ever really, I really ever honed my skills mm. in that space is it's so public. Mm. There's such a public mm. perception. There's so, yeah. so much PR. There's so much just public relations. And I like this. I like the, I like the, um, the wielding of my influence to be much more private. I like it to be behind the scenes, you know, sort of stage right or backstage or side stage, and that's just hard to do. It's harder to do in in a a public space like politics compared to you know what I've done so far. You're very discreet,
0: and I think I think the through line here for leaders is one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you, Brad. Is I think a lot of us have really unique giftings. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I really enjoy this. I love connecting people. I love thinking through issues, but we get slotted into a job. And maybe that job is an accountant, maybe it's an executive pastor, maybe it's senior pastor, maybe it's a lawyer, maybe it's a plumber, I don't know, whatever it happens to be. We get slotted into a role, and 90% of what makes us unique never gets tapped into. And I wonder if, you know, you brought more of who you really are and what you're capable of to the job description you have. Number one, I think your value is going to go up. Number two, I think it's going to be a lot more interesting. Because I thought, I, did, I left politics behind, but I didn't leave the things that I brought to that table. Did I really know what I was doing at 18 or 19? Probably not. But there were adults in the room who thought I brought some level of value. But now I get to exercise that in new space. And the thing about you is you, you have one of those job descriptions that's impossible to describe. Right. Yeah. You're the you're the founder of Blank, which is brown, right, which, which means nothing. Which <laughs> means nothing. Right. And what does your company do? I mean, you connect people. So the partners on our podcast, the sponsor reads, are are usually nine times out of ten people that you have connected me with. And you know, I'm super picky about who gets on the podcast and yeah. the whole deal. And you and I have lots of conversations about that. Yeah, we'll do this, but we won't do this. And what about this? And what about that? But you know, you do that, and you do that for multiple organizations. But it's also a hundred times more complex than that as well. So yeah. you know, basically, you've been able to craft a job that plays into your personality that goes back to Mrs. Weaver's class. What you were doing there, you're doing now, and doing it like on a on a supersized version of that. Yes. Any any thoughts about what a traditional career or job description? how limiting that could be and what to do to bring your whole self to it. Well,
1: you're you're definitely hitting on this this premise of do I think about an, an assignment which is a job or do I think about calling which is much more like the the broader the broader uh, expression of the way God's wired you that now gives you multiple oper- multiple outlets for assignment. So, you know, I would say, like your calling, Carrie. You know the 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 breadcrumbs of your calling are you're you're a great conversationalist. You're really curious. You have this propensity to want to learn. You you know you you can like make people feel comfortable, uh, which again connects law. It connects writing. It connects podcasting. It connects being a a, a teacher, preacher, communicator. Um, it connects leadership. Same for me. Like, um, you know, I've I've had multiple different assignments. Being in the conference space with Catalyst, like working for a management consulting company, um, obviously working for John Maxwell. You know, the the role of being an advisor and a strategic sort of consultant um, in this season. Um, even being a head wrangler on a guest ranch. Those were those were all my ability to 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 let my superpower of connecting actually get expressed and played out. Um, and so the through line for me, and the, and every leader listening, they need to figure out the through line because that's that's the thing now that gives you runway for all of these different things you're going to do over the course of your 40 or 50-year career. And that's the challenge with so many younger leaders today. They have so many options.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There, there are so many jobs or so many outlets that are available which makes it even more important to figure out the through line F- figure out the thing that's going to connect all these dots and so to your question you know what's my encouragement i would say like if you're young or even old but especially young like figure out what that through line is figure out the things that are that are true about you god-given strengths and wiring uh along with along with passions that have probably been created because of either life moments or friendships or family, a lot of different factors with passions connected to God's story. And if if you combine those three worlds, and if we add Jim Collins, you know, the his his idea of that you can create some sort of economic engine mm-hmm. connected to those, then man, you've you've got something special. But it's so sad. I mean, you and I both see so many leaders that that they have a great, they might have a great career or a great job. But they're only expressing, as you said, 10%, perhaps, of of what they would consider to be their superpower.
0: Or or sometimes, you know, they end up adopting a persona that they think is going to get them ahead on a platform, on social media or whatever. But yes. it's almost like, okay, I saw that over there, and now I'm going to put that on, and hopefully this gets me to where I want to be. And I think one of the, the reasons I wanted to really explore your story in more detail is like no, that wiring was there, like in Mrs. Weaver's class, uh, maybe right. early, early, early. Your grandfather, what do you think he saw in you? Do you have any idea?
1: Well, I think he saw a natural, a natural um, leader. Now, what that looked like was a kid who was probably a bit more extroverted, a kid who was, you know, like I, Carrie, I could, I, I learned like the fifty states of of the United States when I was four years old and I could recite state, state and capital.
0: That's pretty cool. Cause
1: I not just, but I was a learner. Like I just naturally wanted to learn. I mean, I would, rem, I would memorize songs and sing them back to like my family. Um, so that, but here's where that shows up today is like, I've got thousands of names that I can recall of people I've met or you know, the friends and, and then when to your point, like Brad, you're so connected. And you you seem to have this ability to like remember things about people. Well that's just that goes back to my, you know, sort of the ability to remember states and capitals. And and so I think he was seeing that some of those giftings getting getting lived out. Um, you know, and I was I was probably a bit more willing to To be in front of others and be the entertainer, um, which I think probably was both natural and it was probably encouraged, Mm -hmm. which made it which made it come out a bit more, um, you know. So there, there's there's a number of things there. Again, for me, when I think, okay, what's the practical side of this? The practical side of this for parents and for grandparents, but when you start thinking about your kids, is you know you you have the ability. We, we, we tell our kids, you could be anything you want to be. I don't know if that's great parenting. Hmm. I think we, we, now the answer is you probably can today more than ever. But should you? Should you based on, again, the way, if you know the way you're wired, if you're self-aware, if you're so dialed in to the way God has put you together, then should you try to do anything? Or are there certain things we want to encourage our kids to, to move towards? And that's the hard part is we, they get to 18 and we tell them, you better make a decision that's going to, that's going to ride with you the rest of your life, which, you know, most of us, we never use that ever again. So what I would be encouraging kids in, in their elementary years, middle school, high school and college years is, okay, think about the through line. Let's let's look for breadcrumbs. Let's look for the things that you you naturally gravitated towards, regardless of of who told you, if there was, you know, if there was any motivation around it, if there was any award mechanism that was tied to it. And let's let's start thinking about those things and let's try to move you towards those things. Um and that's a different it's a it's a different mindset than the average, again, I'll just use American. Mm-hmm. The average American parenting school system thing is, I'm going to move these kids or my kids towards something that feels like it's successful compared to it's moving them towards the things that are wired already in them.
0: I mean, there is no degree that would be good credentials for what you've ended up doing with your life. Nothing. No. There's no undergrad, there's no graduate, there's no master's program in what you're doing. And if, if you, you know, I I spent a lot of time in university, history, law, theology, all of which shaped me and formed me, law in particular, you know, obviously theology did, but law in particular really kicked my butt. Um, and they shaped who I am, but there's there's no communication path and I don't actually have a degree in communication, but that's basically what I do. And that's what I've done my entire life, Right whether debating club in high school, which I loved and really enjoyed, whether that was radio when I was younger, law, it was the courtroom side, ministry, it was the preaching, vision casting side. And now, you know, I run a communications company. You can get a communications degree, but it doesn't prepare you for this.
1: Exactly. Doesn't. Yeah. And, mm. and listen, you know, you know this, I'm, I'm very pro education. I'm pro college. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. But <laughs> we pushed but, our kids.
1: <laughs> yeah, just, just, <laughs> just we, we have to, we have to give permission um, and, and allow for this, for a new generation, especially to be able to um, have, you know, a bit more extended time to say yes to different things, which will, which will give them more experimentation in essence of, oh, well, I tried this and it, you know, it's probably like a three out of a 10. To really connect to the way I'm wired. Oh, the, well, this thing though, it was an eight out of t- out of ten. So we're we're looking for data. We're looking for like seasons of ex- of, of of opportunity to then like reverse engineer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to it's just the one thing, and you better go figure it out. You better just do this, and and then we get stuck in the one thing, and we make tons of money, perhaps, or we have tons of influence, but yet we're like you said, we're miserable.
0: Yeah, tons of money, tons of misery. I've seen that many many times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Brad, often you know, when someone is that kid in Mrs. Weaver's class, they they tend to be social climbers. They tend to be the show off kid. And I'm not saying you were completely mature when you were seven years old. Uh, I'm sure there were elements of that or whatever. But one thing, you know, of the many things people would describe you, I've never heard or thought of the idea that you're a social climber. You're not. You're just a connector. It's like, it's, it's, it's not like you're using your relational ability to build a lot of personal capital. You, you, you really default to being genuinely interested in the people that you get to work with. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that characteristic as you've seen it, because we talked before about networkers versus connectors, et cetera. But Talk about even in that that experience in Mrs. Weaver's class about the difference between what a climber might do and how you saw your classmates.
1: Yeah. It's a great question. I I think the the climber still the social climber or the influence climber or the I'm going to I'm going to network my way to the top. There there's still this sense that it's about me. And I think when you you know when you when you really do have this premise that that the goal of these connections and being a connector is to benefit others, then that's when it's that's when it's powerful, and people can tell. Like the the thin line between those two worlds is pretty thin. Um, but I th- I think it comes back to you know the for what, and the for what should always be that I'm trying to I'm trying to elevate somebody somebody else. I'm trying to make them. Successful and by the way, um, you know Mike Foster has this this uh, new book out, Seven Primal Questions. So my primal question, which he helped me unpack recently, is Am I successful? So there's this deep desire in me, Carrie, that that I I want to I want to be successful. I want to be seen as successful. I want to be successful. But it's also this it's, it's connected to my superpower. I want to help other people be successful. And when I get to help other people be successful uh, as a connector, um, as an influence creator, as a, you know, a change agent, as somebody who's going to bring two people together and the power is going to be in them actually doing something together. um, It actually allows for me to do the thing that I'm really deeply, deeply, deeply um, passionate about doing, which is I want to be successful. So it's, If that makes sense, like I'm actually successful because other people are successful.
0: Right. And And that's a difference with a networker. Exactly.
1: Because when I'm successful as a networker or a social climber, other people might be successful short term, but long term, probably it's gonna be either like (laughs) neutral or it's gonna be negative. And so the if and this is this is again why. It's a bit nuanced of there is a bit of self-serving in in regards to the way I, I see my power of connection. Because it still comes back to this is actually making me successful. When I when I connect two people who are successful, it makes me more successful. It's the same with influence. It's the same with, you know, do you add more do you add more power into your into your circle of trust or do you lose power? when you actually connect to people who are influential, you add power, right? But the social climber, they actually, they get power because it's a scarcity mindset. They, if, if they get power, they're usually taking it away from somebody else compared to that. I'm getting power because I just added it to somebody else. So I'll, I'll stop there. Cause I don't want to nerd out too much
0: on this, but no, this is super helpful. What, what is underneath your drive? to be successful.
1: Good question. I um I don't know to be honest.
0: <laughs> I ask that question of myself on a regular basis. I'm not sure I have a good answer.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah. And there there's a you know, I don't know if it's it, I don't know if it's something in my childhood that sort of triggered that. I don't, I don't know if it's something that I'm trying to avoid. Um, but it is so you know, the the thing that to you know, to to Mike's book, the thing that um, would drive somebody like me crazy is failure. So, in probably a lot of ways, I am, I am chasing, and this this moves towards the unhealthy side of it. You know, even the years of catalyst, which I've unpacked with you on your podcast before, of Darb and you know, the dysfunction. Brad backwards, somewhat, evil Brad. Yes, <laughs> yes. The, yeah, the the leader that everybody loved to follow but didn't want to be around because he got stuff done, but he would leave people in the ditch. And I think the underlying, um, the underlying sort of kryptonite or the underlying thing that, that I was always thinking about, and this has been true in every season, is if I fail at this, man, I'm going to, it's like if we fail. Let me say it differently. If this thing fails, hmm. then I'm a failure. Right. Right. So right. those 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 just incredibly like um, too intense times a catalyst of driving results. <laughs> so much of that, when I unpack it, is wow. I was just I was just trying to avoid failure. I was just trying to make sure that that I took something and made it a success.
0: That's a good exegesis, a good thing to look at. So Catalyst became the had-to-be-there conference for next-gen leaders. And actually, you had a whole bunch of over-40s trying to sneak in too, right? It was a young leader, but, but they're a whole bunch of old guys. And the most plaid shirts I've ever seen per square foot in anywhere in North America back in the day. Plaid
1: shirts and brand-new jeans. Brand-new jeans. Nobody should have
0: been wearing. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, you had you had... It 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 was at its zenith under your leadership, and it grew from a, a good John Maxwell initiative to you know filling an arena with what was it at its peak fourteen thousand people, ten thousand people it was huge. You yeah, he yeah. had Seth Godin there. Who else did you have there? I mean, it was my goodness. Yeah, I mean,
1: I mean Simon Sinek and Malcolm Gladwell and yeah. Jim Collins and yeah. uh, who was you know, extremely sort of, difficult to get, by the way. Yeah,
0: if you're wondering a lot. A lot.
1: A lot, a lot of the, um, a lot of the the folks that at the time were like you said pretty hard to get, um, but they also were way more willing to say yes to to those kind of gatherings when they knew how many leaders were showing up. You know, exactly. Calis sort of became the place that if you were launching something new or you know you had a message that you wanted to get out there, then it was it was on the short list of lots of uh, thought leaders and publishers. So we, you know, in the early years, we had to try really hard to get the Seth Godens. But once it sort of got some momentum, it was a little bit easier. Yeah.
0: When you look at that, what, and you've written very honestly about that in Catalyst Leader, I think was your first book where you talk about DARB and getting healthy. And I mean, man, you've lost so much weight since those days too. I mean, I've only yeah. kind of spent a lot of time with you since those days. We met yeah. about the zenith of, of Catalyst. What, when you look back on that, what would you tell your younger self? What did you get wrong as that you know, uh, connector? Did it, did it start to become a climber? Did it start to become an, uh, a networker? Or what happened to yourself? What would you tell yourself now at 30 when that ascent continued?
1: Well, I would definitely say make sure that you're you're allowing for the people closest to you to still get the best of you. Because that started to not be true. Um, and you know, this is true for many of us when we start carrying more weight. We typically we typically um, we we still have a lot of like I would say uh, distance influence. With the folks who are partners or speakers, or you know, they still think it's you're great, and then the people closest to you are like, man,
0: get him out of the. If room. you only knew, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, I would say I would probably, I I would I would make sure that I'm you know that I'm really clear that this season is is not it, it's it's just a season. And my job is a steward at well, but uh, you know, that I'm not the end all be all. And I don't need to put as much pressure as I probably did on myself to make sure this thing's successful. Um, you know, I there there's a lot of things I would probably say too, Carrie. Did
0: did you feel uh, keep going, but did you feel that pressure?
1: Oh yeah, big time. Absolutely. You know, pressure financially, pressure um relationally. I mean You know, pressure just personally that, and, and I'm, you know, I've I've been very open about this. Like I've, I was a, I was a, I was in many ways stepping into something and leading something that I didn't really know what I was doing. Yes. And hello, like how many of us, raise your hand out there in podcast world if you've been there, like we all have. So that was So, you know, the the self-aware Brad and the much more healthy Brad would would have, I don't know if I would have said that more, but I would have just given myself permission to to rest in that and be okay with that, be comfortable with that, compared to, I think the pressure would force me to to almost get toxic with with, hey, you know, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing, compared to. I need your help. Please come help me. Um, so I, that's just and that that's just the natural kind of thing we do as as leaders. Is we 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 don't want anybody else to know that we don't know what we're doing. So um, and some of that some of that also ties back to here we are being here we are building a leadership um, leadership movement. You know, like we're 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 supposed to be in the business of like creating healthy leaders and. I was not necessarily always that, so there's that side of it too that you don't want to be seen as this fake.
0: Hmm. Hmm. You said there were other things you might tell yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, i I I think the, I think so many of us, especially when we're we're in that season where we start to like, we start to we start to get invited into things that we probably don't deserve being invited into. Um, I I feel like I handled that pretty well, but I would have, I would have brought more people along with me. Um, You know, I, I, I had the tendency, not because I wanted it to be about me, but I think I just had the tendency to sort of show up on my own. And I would have, I would have allowed for more of the team to, To be part of some of those experiences, Um, and that—that's a lesson. That's a lesson that I think, you know, John Maxwell. One of the things I learned from John, which I didn't live out real well, but I still learned it, was take people with you. Just in general, like take people with you in life, on trips, um, into meetings. You know, always be bringing somebody along. Because it's the best way for them to learn, but it's also the best way for you to actually uh, leverage in the, in the healthiest way possible the influence you've been given. Is to bring somebody else into that influence who probably doesn't deserve it. And, you know, it's one thing to show up on your own. It's another thing to show up and and, and then to watch that person and experience it with them where they're like, oh my gosh, that was like a game changer to be part of that conversation.
0: Yeah. I need to uh, take notes on that one myself. Um, so you, you hinted at meeting people for the first time. So I'm thinking about leaders who want to continue to see their influence grow. And I'm thinking back to times I got into green rooms or behind the scenes and I meet someone who was a hero and I always feel awkward in those situations. It's like, what do I yeah. say? Do I say too much? Or,
1: by the way, now you are one, Carrie. Now <laughs> yeah, people are meeting you. Now I, they're meeting you and they're like, oh my gosh, Carrie Newhoff. Uh, I just got to
0: talk to Carrie. Yeah, I'm not used to that. But um, I know, anyway, on, but you are, on like, to the next. But what do you yeah. do in a situation like that? Like, I think sometimes I either default to saying, man, I love your work or I loved your book or blah, 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 you know, or. You end up talking about yourself. I did that a lot when I was younger. Oh, let me tell you about me. And neither I don't think is a great <laughs> introduction to, yeah. to people that you've admired from the past, Brad. What what I mean, you've you've been in on 10X, 100 x those transactions or, or encounters that I have. What makes for a healthy conversation when you meet someone that you've always looked up to?
1: Well, I do, I do I like. Um, that somebody honors with knowing of your work or at least the more specific and the more honoring you are with with specific things I think that says something so if from a strategy side if if, if, you know if somebody's like what do I do when I meet Kerry Newhoff uh, and I didn't expect to and he's in the room and we're sitting at a dinner table and we're sitting next to each other, and we've got you know thirty minutes. Um, I I do want to start with an honoring of your work, and that could be simply, hey, you know, Carrie, love love the podcast. It's really been helpful for my leadership journey. In fact, um, you know, I'll give you three uh, three episodes or three three conversations for you that you've had in the last couple of years that really were impactful. You know, your conversation with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And here's the things I learned from that. Like, that's honoring in person. It's also honoring in an email. Yeah. Um. So mm-hmm. start there. Start there. Now, you don't want to spend the whole time just fanboying, though,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because that gets annoying. Um. I think the second part of your connection, if you're meeting somebody new in that situation that you you admire and you look up to, is is hey? Can I ask you a couple of questions that I've really been wrestling with, and I think I think you have a lot of expertise on. That's that's part two. So you know, honor with spe- specificity. Um, ask specific questions that put that person in the place still of honor, but now they now they get to be an advisor. You know, a mentor to you, and you're you're getting free advice. Hello. Um, and everybody loves to give free advice. I don't. I don't care who you are. Um, the third thing, then, I would say is, it, I don't. I don't like when people say, "Is there anything I can do for you?" Because I don't know how to answer that usually. Exactly. It's like, I don't know. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's usually what I say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so here's here's a better here's a better thing to say to somebody is, "Hey, um, if I could do three things." For you, here's three options. You choose one. So, uh, c- could I write a review on your on your net- on your latest book? Um, you know, could I invite you to an event that I know somebody needs a speaker for? Or, um, you know, can I can I take can I take a recent talk of yours and transcribe it for you? Now, I just made those up, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so. Like to me, give somebody spe- something specific that they can respond to, and then maybe one out of three multiple choice. But the the more I, I make it specific, compared to, well, how can I help you, or what can I do for you? That that just is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that those those are practically like what I do when I show up and meet somebody that I've never met that I'm you know sort of honored to be in the room
0: with. Wow that's like worth repeating, like just hit rewind on your podcast and listen to that last five minutes because having been, you know, the recipient of a lot of those conversations, but also in a lot of those conversations, that is a much better framework than fanboying, leaving it awkward or et cetera. And I I love the fact that you asked permission to ask questions. Hey, if you don't mind over dinner, I've got three things I'm wrestling with. Would you be open to me asking you a few questions is much better than question one, question two, question three. And, and I get it. There is, I've had that many, many times where there's a little deer in the headlights, uh, particularly in the early days. It's like, <gasps> I'm actually having a conversation with fill in the blanks and you're almost surreal on that front. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, and here's
1: the thing, Carrie. you know, this and, and I, I do too, like, um, the, the best leaders, the goats, like the people that you admire the most, they appreciate the honor you give them. But what they really want, what I really want, what you really want, is you really want to have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's value add. You don't need to hear the actually, accolades
0: over and over no, again. No,
1: like no. I want to ping pong back and forth. I want, I want to actually learn from you. Um so what's happened so many times when I when I say, can I can I ask you a few questions? Is now you know what happens when you ask a few good questions. Now that person you admire mm-hmm. is now asking you questions, yeah. and now what do we have? We have a conversation, we have connection, and hopefully, we have friendship. Mm-hmm. So I'm man, I'm I you know the first the 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 I remember like so many tables I've sat at, Carrie, where that person who I admired. Had no clue who I was and didn't really care, to be honest. By the end of the dinner, we're they're saying, Can I get your number? Let's stay in touch. Next time you're in, you know, Chicago, why don't you call me and let's get together? Or they're asking me, Hey, are there any is there anything you're doing that I could be part of? Crazy. And it, it just, it, it always flows off of of your like appropriate, honoring, but intentional curiosity.
0: And that's how you connect with the A-listers in your industry. And it doesn't start there. Wow. Okay. I want to go back to the dude ranch. I don't know. I've been wanting to ask you that question for so, so long. So you graduate high school. And how do you end up at this horse ranch?
1: Well, graduate... I, 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 I went there first in college.
0: Okay, you went there in college.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I was, I was a fraternity brother. Um, Lance Humphreys, shout out, uh, and Jason Shipman, shout out. Both guys had worked, actually a couple of other even fraternity brothers had worked at this place called Lost Valley in Colorado. And um, I was big in Young Life in college, and I'd worked at a Young Life property the summer before. And they, they they came back from working at Lost Valley and they said, man, amazing experience. You need to go there this next summer. I'm like, great, I'll apply. Well, I, th- I applied and I think there was 30 spots and I think three or 400 people applied for those 30 spots. And I got in, which I felt honored to get in and um, fell in love with the place the first summer I was there. And that was when I was in college. And then once I graduated, then I went back there and worked I was going to work for 6 months and go back to law school. Ended yeah. up staying for ended up staying for 5 years full time. Was the head wrangler. Literally like literally and figuratively, I was a cowboy. Mm-hmm. And you know, had to figure it all out because as a head wrangler, you have to know like you have to know what you're doing. And again, there's a theme here carry on my life, which is <laughs> I've been in seasons where I had no clue. (laughs) Every season I've walked into has been one where I looked around and thought, man, I hope nobody knows that Mm -hmm. I'm one chapter ahead of the students here as a substitute teacher. So, yeah, that was, it was, it was, um, it was arguably the most, the most shaping of my, um, the most shaping career sort of season foundationally on my life, period. Wow. How? Well, one, I learned work ethic hmm. in, a, in a for-profit um, high-end guest ranch with customers and clients, families who came there and expected a world-class experience. This was not Christian camp. This is like best-in-class, you know, the top guest ranch in North America, um, which happened to have a staff that most of which were believers and there was an underlying current of ministry, but that was not on the website. So, standard of excellence, best in class work ethic. Um, second thing is, I I was discipled as part of the staff and as uh, as somebody who was there full time. I got discipled by the the founder of Lost Valley, Bob Foster, who for for multiple years, every Friday we met for breakfast and we would do scripture memory together, and he he. He just, he shaped me, um, with this, with this ability to, you know, be a head wrangler and, and have a hospitality, best of class, best standard of excellence while also like operating with the scriptures and being able to navigate being a follower of Jesus with utmost sense of passion and excellence. So in my early twenties, I figured out like I've got to carry both of those. I can't choose one or the other. It's both. Like I have to be, I have to be incredibly, um, you know, passionate about about this job I'm doing. And we have a standard of excellence. We have the we have clients coming in who expect world class experiences. While also, I'm um, you know I'm now like in my early twenties. I want to be, be I want I want to have this foundation that's going to carry me for the next sixty years as a as a follower of Jesus. Um, so. You know, and then when you combine the fact that you're you're in this like you're you're in an isolated space with about fifty staff, that now you've got to figure out how to do life with and how to like, you know, sort of navigate like being in your early twenties and and living in community. That was a whole other piece that was incredibly shaping. So uh, all those things in the season I was in in my early twenties really just it. It it was foundational. It's like the scaffolding. It's the it's the rebar. You know, it's the concrete that got poured, hundred feet below the skyscraper. And I didn't know. Like I didn't, I didn't know that I would need that to be able to perhaps carry some things that were going to happen for me. You know, 20, 20 years later.
0: What are some of the key lessons you? pulled from that season of your life, some of the cornerstones you built the next twenty-five years on?
1: Well, the the big one was that when you host people well, when you when you live out hospitality, and you know, that was like Lost Valley, the, the the branding was actually the brand, Lost Valley, the subline or, you know, sort of the the phrase, the tagline of Lost Valley was the brand of Western hospitality. So we, I learned what it looked like to host people well. You're the Ritz-Carlton
0: like. of the West.
1: You got it, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're the Ritz-Carlton with with Wranglers on. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, people, these are, these are the kind of folks that showed up with an expectation. Um, so to be able to deliver and then over-deliver on that expectation... And how you treated people. And here's the thing. All of those lessons are still true today for me. Of remember people's names. um, You know, take care of their kids. uh, Honor people who have returned. So return guests were a big part of that. Mm. And, you know, we, we had a phrase, turn guests into friends and friends into family. And so when somebody showed up as a guest the first time they were there, we wanted by the end of the week for them to be, feel like they were family. And then when they came back the next year or the next year or the next year after that, they really did feel like family. And, you know, I'm, I, so I'm, I'm hosting people in this and it's, here's the thing. It's really easy to, to create a great experience for people when they're on vacation because their expectations are that they're going to have a great experience. Um, so the, the, here's another one I learned, um, which uh, from a connector side, this has been huge for me, which is I had to take people out on a, get, on a horse for two hours. So, and these are people who are CEOs. They're, you know, they, they operate in high places. And here I am some knucklehead 22 or 23 year old. I'd better figure out how to connect in their world. So I'm now on a horse and on horseback with, you know, the CEO of some $50 billion company. And I did my homework on each guest. So I knew coming in that this, this, you know, let's just, let's talk about the father of that, of that family who's bringing their kids and their family to this, to this place out in the middle of the mountains. Um, You know, he's expecting me to, to be some cowboy, that can't have any, any volley back and forth with him in regards to his world. Right. And then at twenty three, I'm, I say, well, I, I understand, Mister Coleman. It's so good to have you here, by the way, at Lost Valley. Hope your horse is okay. You know, we're out on the first ride of the week on Monday morning. Uh, by the way, like uh, I understand, you know, you're the CEO of this of this company. Um, you know, how are things going? I, I noticed recently, like you had a, you had your quarterly conference call and. Looked like the stock was up, like, you know, went from 31 to 35. And he's like, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Like, That's I was expecting fantastic. to have to talk about like horses and, you know, ranching. And here you are moving into my world. And this is so important for anybody is, man, if I, if I, if I do the homework on somebody and I'm, again, I'm curious and I'm honoring of them. By understanding the world they operate in, and I start there, then we've we've I've created equity mm-hmm. every single time.
0: This goes back to something you've taught me: be interested, not interesting. Because yeah. the temptation is to talk about yourself. Well, here I am, every blah time. blah 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 blah. Be interested, not interesting. But you're you're. There was a journey to head wrangler. You don't start there. Did it not start by shoveling manure, cleaning up the stalls? <laughs> it, it started literally.
1: It started and finished there.
0: Oh, it did.
1: Oh my gosh, Carrie! Like I didn't, I didn't quit shoveling. uh, I didn't, I didn't quit scooping poop when I became the guy in charge. I mean, it was, it was on the job description of all of us. Um, And, you know, that's, that's a, that's a phrase and a, and a story I tell quite a bit. Just going back to faithful and fruitful, you know, are you going to be faithful in this season? You know, and that sense of even for me, even if I was head wrangler, I was still sort of 25, and and you know, scoop poop for a living. It felt like a lot of the time. And am I, you know, am I willing to? This is true for any leader, any 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 person at any season of their life. Are you willing to crush the current assignment? You know, are you willing to show up and and scoop the poop like like it's your first day, like you just got there? Um, even if you are the head wrangler and you're in charge. And, you know, that, and the, and the, the, the power for us at Los Valley, I think this is transferable. The power for us at Los Valley with this idea of best in the world. And when we're scooping poop, we're not, we're not just cleaning up. We're making space and we're creating a runway of cleanliness that will allow a guest to, to have an amazing experience, which will hopefully then lead them to a place of introspection or of conversation or connection with creation that that then allows us to have conversations with them about what matters most. That's the why part. It's not just so, you know, we were we were so passionate about cleanliness. Because we wanted, we never wanted there to be any barrier for any guest ever to be able to sort of like um, find something that could be an excuse that gets in the way of, of of their experience. And that's man, it's it's such a powerful thing when you start to connect those things that can be so boring, the, the faithful parts of your job. That now have this connection to a bigger purpose, um, and you know the other thing is we <laughs> we always kidded. Uh, listen, if Jesus returns and we're all falling face down, I don't want to fall face down into a you know a recent uh, <laughs> dropping from a horse. So
0: clean let's it make up. sure it's clean, clean around it us. Up. Yeah, uh, for those of us who have never been a head wrangler or even on a ranch, like me. What does a head wrangler do? Just the, what's the thumbnail job description?
1: Well, at Lost Valley, it was a bit different, um, you know, because I was, when I was there, I was head wrangler, I was really the ranch foreman, which meant we, you know, we had a, we had almost 200 head of cattle, um, which, which, you know, was part of the cow, it was part of the operation of being a working guest ranch. Uh, Now, some of that was just for the brochure. Let's be honest. Um, but there was hundred, about 150 horses. So you're, you know, as a head wrangler, your your job is to is to manage the the horse operation. Um, your job is to basically be in charge of the guest experience when it comes to riding. And Lost Valley, when I was there, and it's still true today, it is the best ranch in North America to have the best riding experience possible. Um, most ranches anymore you can't even do anything other than walk if you want to go out on and and you're actually like pretty good at riding um that you have to be in a controlled environment but still a lost valley like you go out and you know we would test people we we made sure people could could ride well but once the, we knew that they could ride well then you know there was a lot of a lot of fun that would happen on a horse sure. over the course of seven days and it, it's still to this day it's like that's the draw. The, the reason people go to Lost Valley is, is for horseback riding. Um, so yeah, I was in charge of... And then there was a, usually a staff of 12 people, eight to 12 people, depending on the season, who were also Wranglers. And that's the part I didn't get really... I didn't do really well. If you ask any of the guys who were on my cruise over the years, is I did... And this, this is a theme. It's a theme, unfortunately, which is when I'm carrying more weight than I should, the, you know, the crew in that case was not necessarily getting the best of me. Right. The, the the guests were, the guests loved me. Um, but the crew sometimes, you know, it would, I would get too tense. I was, because I I didn't want to fail. And so looking back, I would have, I, I had such the opportunity to invest in, you know, over the course of five years, a hundred, give or take, different young, you know, early twenties. and. I did okay at that, but I wasn't great at it. Yeah.
0: Well, as you say, you know, you mentioned older leaders before younger leaders, but you I heard Jerry Seinfeld say recently in an interview it was like, you really want a great last quarter. Like your whole life is setting you up for that last quarter. Another thing I found out very recently, do you know how old Tim Keller was before he published his first book? No. I did not know. 57. Oh my gosh. I know. I know, isn't that crazy? So for older leaders listening, now we get the, you know, wisdom does come in your forties, I think, and then you're like, ah, I was such a doofus, but you you hopefully can make amends for the future. What was the what were the bread trails to John Maxwell? Because you ended up working at John Maxwell and then it was Catalyst. So did that come out of Lost Valley or how did that connection happen?
1: Yeah, there was um there was a couple of of guys I met while at Lost Valley who I had Steve Grays and Tom Addington, shout out! Uh, Cornerstone Group was the name of this management consulting company, and they did some work for Lost Valley on transition and succession because it was family owned. And um, when I was there on the team, I met these guys, and they were sort of the first what first men that were like really good at like business, and they were both doctors and they were professors and. But they were also like Bible teachers and teaching pastors, and they carried the scriptures in one hand and Wall Street Journal in the other, and and with mm. with again equal like equal sense of of excellence. And I just told them, you know, I was twenty four, and I was still at Lost Valley, and I said, hey, like I really like you guys. I don't even know what you do, mm. but is there any you know whenever whenever I leave here, I want to you know I want to call you. I'd love to like. I'd love to just know more about what you do. And they, you know, I think they kind of thought that was cute sort of, Oh, that's nice. You're a, you know, you're a cowboy. What would you know about management consulting? But I talked them into it in essence. And so they were in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I joined them for a couple of years and worked with them. And one of our clients was enjoy,
2: Mm. which
1: was John's company. And so you know, I got connected to Enjoy because they were a client of this management consulting group that I was working with, post Lost Valley. So there was a there was a little season there of a few years that I spent with that group and then got connected to John and started started helping. I was I actually wrote the business plan for Catalyst at, or D. The, there was a there was a plan in place, but I did a lot of the market research early on. Hmm. Uh and so I wasn't on the team at that point. I was part of the team, but I wasn't like full-time and ended up joining the team shortly after that. And so, you know, when people say Brad's the founder of Catalyst, I, it's not really true. Like really, Gabe Lyons, John Maxwell would, you know, way more be the founders. Um, and Gabe stood on the stage and hosted the event for the first several years. And John, John was the funder of, of the event.
0: Hmm. So, last question for you today. I, mean, I think you've earned around twelve or whatever it is because we answered one question I had prepared. So, congratulations, <laughs> Brad. That was really good. Listen,
1: I've never, I've never talked about Lost Valley as much as I just talked about it. So, thank you for, or, or about my early, you know, elementary years. That's well, so fascinating. Thank you, been, thank you for going places that that nobody else uh, typically asks about.
0: Uh, we've been friends for over ten years, and. Uh, it's always, it's like peeling an onion. You just learn more about something. So you mentioned success, failure of failure, or fear of failure, motivated by success. I want to know how you define success because you're not flashy. You don't drive a flashy car. You don't have an expensive house. You know, you wear normal clothes. You don't have a lot of bling. There's no bling to Brad. Did you know that, Brad? Yeah. There's no. <laughs> There's blink, but not bling. blink. Blink, but no bling. That's it. What What is success to you?
1: It's a great question. I think success. Um, well, personally, I would say, you know, the ultimate expression, personally, of success is becoming more like Jesus. So I know that's a cookie cutter answer, but it really is true. Um, when I when I think about vocational success, I would say, you know, the 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 more people I help be successful but also the more people I, I, um, I connect into the slipstream. And, you know, my slipstream is my success factor, truly. So when I, st- when I start thinking about the, the concentric circle of influence and the hundreds or hopefully, for me, thousands of leaders that I, that I am connected to, that I'm always trying to, to add value to, um, you know, the more of those that get put into that circle that's, that's success to me because I know once they get into the circle, there's going to be value added. Um, so it, it ultimately, you know, to, to, to put a phrase on it, I, I would borrow this from John Maxwell. Um, if I'm adding value to people, I'm winning. So, you know, to, to the question of what success look like, I think it's, it's, it's adding value. If, if I'm, if I'm investing in people, helping them win then and I win.
0: Wow. You know, what occurred to me just having interviewed Kevin Kelly, who you introduced me to a couple of years ago, uh, he's got that saying, I don't know that you've read his latest book. It's it's amazing. Just uh, what is it? excellent advice for living or something like that, but it's way better than the title. He says, don't be the best, be the only. Yes. I think you've done that. Like who else is Brad Lominick? Nobody. And you're the only one who does what you do at that level And I think we just spent an hour unpacking why that is. And I hope that Mm -hmm. leaders listening right now can say, okay, I'm 19 years old. What was I doing in the equivalent of Mrs. Weaver's class or my sophomore year? Or, you know, because I look back on it, and yeah, the clues were there in my life too. I was the kid drawn toward communication, drawn toward... Um, politics and higher levels of thinking. You were drawn to, I know the name of every kid in my class on day one. And now day two, I go back and I try to figure out, wow, she loves to trade lunches and he loves to do X and he loves to do Y and all that stuff. And, you know, here you are all these years later doing that. So, you know, incredible. And I think there's been a really profitable hour and a bit spent together.
1: Well, thank you, Carrie. And you know, I'll, I'll say this because I people ask me, like, is there was there anybody that you saw that you've seen over the last twenty five years that was a picture for you of what 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 you didn't know would be true that has become true. And and PEB Jackson, who I don't know if you ever met, um, PEB died last year, and we just celebrated PEB a year later um, from his from from. Uh, you know him going to be with Jesus. Uh, just last month in May, we celebrated a year later, and 200 people showed up to a year later celebration of of Pep Jackson. And you know the the thing, the thing that I um, that I learned most from Pep, and it's you know I want to pass this on to people because I think it's really helpful. Is is you know when it's, it's what you just said about Kevin Kelly and don't just try, just be the only. And the, the thing about Peb, so many, so many people would always say is I'm not, I don't really know what he does. And in my, you know, as a 20 something, I was always like, don't, shouldn't we have like a career or <laughs> something we're doing that's really simple and explainable? And to your, to your point about Kevin, like, actually, I don't think that's necessarily the point. I think the point is, as Kevin says, is if, if you even have a hard time under or explaining what you do to your parents or to, you know, your family, you yeah. might've actually found the thing that you most should be doing. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Cause there's not a category for it.
1: There's not a category. And I, you know, I
0: hope you and I both are good
1: expressions of this for, for your audience of thousands of leaders that it's, you know, it's okay to go pursue the thing that other people don't necessarily understand. And they, they look at you and go, well, good luck with that. Because um, I think you and I have both found that sweet spot. Oh, yeah.
0: I've, my mind's going back to a conversation I had with a sweet woman who used to attend the church that I led. She's like, "So, what are you doing now, exactly?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, I'm doing some things." She said, "I heard you have a podcast." I'm like, "Yeah, I have a podcast." And she goes, "Yeah, how does that work? Is it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, it's we have some listeners. It's okay, you know. But it's like it's kind of fun when when you know, even at a family gathering or." Uh, people you don't see that often. And they're like, so what are you up to? And you're like, well, it's kind of like this and it's like this and it's like this. But I love it. I get up every day and it's like, how do I get to do this? And hopefully this has encouraged some listeners to move a little beyond the job description, maybe to rethink the job description. Maybe the better job is not to leave the organization, but to bring your whole self to the organization and do what only you can do because you'd be adding so much value there. And I think in the age of AI, when all the easy tasks are going to be easily replicatable by machine learning and AI and, you know, AGI, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Well, they're probably not going to connect like Brad can. And conversations like this, ChatGPT still got a little bit catching up to do. So
1: I'll I'll finish with this. I had a guy recently, Zane Callister, uh, uh, shout out, which by the way, I'd, you hear me? Keep saying "shout out" because I, I do this on my podcast. You do it all, all the time. time, and
0: we do it now at staff meeting. It's like "shout out," and I feel I love, like we owe you a it. dollar every time. It's like "shout no no no." Shout no. out I, I TM. Stole it. Shout out TM.
1: I, I stole it from Tony Kornheiser on on the, pardon the interruption on ESPN. There you go. So, uh, but Zane Callister, who is a good friend, and he 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 left me this long um, voice memo, and he said, "I figured out I figured out what it is you do." And he said, "You're air traffic control, you're, you're the tower, you're the tower at a, at an airport and you know, like which planes need to land, you know, which planes need to take off, you know, which planes need to stay in the air a little bit longer. You're, you're, you're air traffic control of leaders and you're, you're, you're staying connected to all these different people all over the world, which allows you to then play that." the role of, of appropriately, um, intentionally like knowing where the planes are and knowing when they need to land and when they need to take off. And it, it gave me like so much lift just to, to have that picture of, oh, that's, that's really, really helpful when it comes to, to explaining sort of, you know, the, the connector in me. Um, so I'll just leave people with that.
0: Yeah. Brad, thank you so much. Where are well H three leadership H three leadership podcast, which I also listen to, part of the Art of Leadership Network. Uh, any other channels you're showing up at these days?
1: That's the that's the that's the most uh, I think helpful and value adding one. So I would say you know start there H three leadership podcast, and I don't need to give anybody else any other URLs or other outlets. Okay, man.
0: Brad, thanks so much, buddy. We'll uh, talk again soon. Thanks, Kerry. Oh man, that was a good one. I absolutely love Brad. We have worked together for years and I was glad to bring you sort of, you know, the things we talk about when we're not on mic while we're on mic. So anyway, uh, if you want more, you can get transcripts, you can get show notes and everything simply by going to kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 593. And we want to thank our partners in this episode. These are two organizations I work closely with. I believe in them. You got to check it out. AI is not going away. I'm studying it every day. You can get free resources for AI and the church at get.glue.us slash AI hub. That's g l o o. Dot us slash AI hub and Convoy of Hope can help you feed a child every school day for ten dollars a month. That's it, man. I mean, you'll spend more on your breakfast today. In a lot of cases, you could feed two kids for what you spend on lunch in a single day, but you can feed them for a month. So go to convoyofhope.org slash Carrie and learn how. Well, next episode, man, we got a killer lineup coming up. Right, let me tell you who we got coming up first before I tell you about the next episode. Dave Ramsey's coming back, Mike Todd, John Christ. We've got Kyle Eidelman, Louis Giglio. That was a great conversation. Just had it. Chelsea and Judah Smith, Miroslav Volf, Arthur Brooks, and a whole lot more. But next time, Michael Bungay-Stanier is back, and we're going to talk about how to work with almost anyone. Here's an excerpt present me has said yes to a speaking gig thinking that future me was going to love it and when future me shows up in 6 months time future me is going who made this terrible decision why are we here <laughs> this is this is not this is not the this is not the thing you were looking for so you know we built in criteria around um, my speaking so i have five So that's next time on the podcast. Man, I am so glad we get to do this together. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. Do you know a minority of people who listen to this episode subscribe? And that's true of most podcasts. So if you enjoyed it, if it delivered value, subscribe and maybe tell your friends about it. Uh, Share the link, maybe text a couple of friends, uh, send them an email, or uh, just share it on social and let Brad Lominick know that you appreciated what happened as well. As I mentioned a couple episodes ago, my goodness, I hear this all the time. The raving response that you give to guests really makes a difference because you know what? They want to come back, they tell their friends, and we get incredible guests as a result. So I want to tell you about one more thing. I said that Brad's podcast at the beginning is part of the Art of Leadership Network, the podcast network that we started. And it is. We've got a number of shows and you'll hear from people like Brad, Adam Weber, Chris Cook, Jenny Katrin, Rob Meter, and my darling wife, Tony Newhoff, have a podcast on the network as well. The easiest way to follow right now is to head on over to Instagram and look up the Art of Leadership Network. Follow us there And you'll be able to see the variety of shows and click through and really improve your podcast listening experience. So we're looking forward to great things for the network next year, Uh, but you want to check it out. Go to Instagram, look for the Art of Leadership Network, and we'll see you there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that today's episode helped you identify and scale a growth barrier that you're facing.